Hello, and thank you for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. We're so glad that you could join us. Well, we are on Core 7 of Core 52. Uh, I know that I have personally really been benefiting from the devotionals each week uh, and from uh, the lessons as I've been studying to uh, preach these sermons. So I hope that uh, everyone else is getting as much out of it as I have been personally. Uh, today we're looking at Core 7, which is the Kingdom of God. So once again, we have one of these words, Kingdom. Uh, it's another word that we use in Christianity, uh, a Bible word. We throw it around a lot, and we just assume everyone understands what we mean. But what are we actually talking about when we say kingdom or the kingdom of God? And again, that is what Core 52 is all about. It's important for us to understand these core issues as we establish, live out, and hopefully as we share our faith. So today we are going to talk about the kingdom of God. And as we begin to talk about this, we are going to start with our core memory verse for the week, which is found in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Just as a little context to this verse, this is where the prophet Samuel was under God's guidance as he was sent to appoint a new king to replace King Saul after God had rejected him. And in this verse you can see that Samuel and God are looking two very different things. They're looking at two very different sets of qualities. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So in our verse this week, we can see that God is directly involved in pointing Samuel to his new king. But when we look at the idea of kings and kingdoms in the Bible, when we look at Samuel and we look at David, we are reminded that God's original intention for his people, and specifically his original plan for the nation of Israel, was that he would be their king. That God alone would be the king of Israel. We see this idea conveyed in verses such as Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22 where it says, For the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. He will care for us and save us. So the nation of Israel was meant to be led by God. God was meant to be their king. And that is awesome. I mean, think about the world around us today. Look at our leaders and the nations around us and their leaders, even at the best of times when we are happy with what we have. We are happy with the choices we have made if we live in a democratic country. When things seem to be going well, even in those times, our leaders are still flawed, sinful individuals. But Israel was not like that, because they had God as their king, at first anyways. You see, God wanted to be the king of Israel, but as we read through scripture, we read that eventually Israel wanted an earthly king. They wanted to be like all the other nations around them. Through the time of the judges, the nation of Israel had been attacked over and over by the nations around them. Uh, and all these nations, of course, had kings. And so they saw these nations with kings and thought, hey, if we could have a king, 
then we could all rally around this one person and protect ourselves against their enemies. Of course, what they were forgetting is that they were being attacked by their enemies because they had turned away from God and his commandments. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, the people of Israel gather and, and come to Samuel and say, Look, you are old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Just imagine having God himself as the king of your nation. And I don't mean symbolically or in a pledge or on your money. I mean literally, God himself was your king. God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, as the literal king of your nation. Imagine having that and thinking, you know what? We would rather decide for ourselves what we want to do. We would rather have our own king from our own people. So here's what you need to understand. In making this request for a human king, the Israelites were rejecting God. They wanted to lead themselves. So Samuel gathers the Israelites together and tries to warn them and give them godly counsel because they wanted this earthly king, but Samuel recognizes, hey, this is a terrible idea. And so he tries to talk them out of it. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 19, he says, But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and your clans. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 15, he says, But if you do not obey the Lord, and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. In other words, they think that having a king is going to solve all their problems. But what they fail to realize is that God was the one who was protecting them. God was the one who was taking care of them, and it was only when they turned their backs on him that they experienced oppression from their enemies. And so he says, yes, okay, like if you have this king, you need to understand you are still subject to the commands of God. And then in verse Samuel, chapter, 20, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 20, Samuel says, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. So he's trying to talk them out of this, saying, hey, this is a bad idea. So for them, the answer is there. The godly counsel is there. They know what God expects of them. The Israelites had everything they needed to make the right choice. But of course, as I know, and as I'm sure that you know as well, the path of stupidity and self-delusion is so inviting. You know, when we read these stories, it's always so funny to realize just how much human nature does not change. This is probably a good time to step back and realize, hey, we do the same thing. There's nothing new under the sun. God's guidance is always available to us in every situation. We have his word. We have prayer. Often we even have godly counsel in our lives, offering us advice on what we should do if we would just listen and follow. When I look back on all the times in my life that I have asked for advice and then just not taken it, and then of course I eventually get the exact result that I was warned about. 
Getting back to Israel's desire for a king, here was the thing. They wanted to see their protector rather than trusting in something that they could not see. They did not trust what they could not see, so that despite all that God had done for them, all that had taken place to this point, the exodus, the wilderness, defeating the enemies in the land, all of this, they still rejected God. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, God comes into the picture and, and says this to Samuel, Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are, not, they are rejecting me, not you. They do not want me to be their king any longer. And so God concedes, and he gives them a king, King Saul. But it was a bad idea, and Samuel knew it would not go well. Of course, this first king that God gives them, he gives them exactly what they were looking for. He gives them the king that they wanted to have. And we see from this very first king that their plan goes very sideways from the beginning. Just a few years later, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11, God says, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. So it's very clear when we look back on our core verse for this week that we look at the wrong things. It's like the Israelites had this big checklist of all the things that a king should be and do. And so God gives them what they're looking for to show them the folly of their ways. See, Saul was a tall person. He was attractive, powerful. He came from a wealthy family. Check, check, check. Saul had all these characteristics. But those are all outer things. The problem with Saul was that he did not possess the inner characteristics. He lacked character. That was the problem. And that is what got him in the end. So let's look at chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8-9. to 9. It says, Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still had not come. Samuel realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. So for a little context, uh, they were waiting at this place for this sacred offering to be given. But of course, offerings and sacrifices were not the job of the king. That was not Saul's job. He was not supposed to do it. And more than that, he knew he was not supposed to do it. But Saul got impatient. When Samuel didn't show up, Saul decided, hey, I'm the king. If I want to make the sacrifice, who's going to stop me? Because, again, I'm the king. So he decided, hey, I'm just going to do it myself. Who cares? But the thing is, that was not his job. And when I say it was not his job to offer sacrifices, I mean it really was not his job. It was a wholly set-apart job with a specific person set apart for the task. Perhaps you remember a few weeks ago, in the Koran, holiness, the toothbrush analogy that we gave. The priest was the clean, set-apart toothbrush, set apart for this task for God. Saul in this story is like the toothbrush you use to clean your toilet. He was not set apart for this task. 
you don't take the toothbrush you use to clean the toilet and brush your teeth with it. Two of the most important components of leadership are competence and character. But no matter how competent you are, no matter how many skills you have, a lack of character will always get you in the end. Maybe not right away. You may even get away with it for a while, but it will eventually get you. And this is true. We know this is true from our world. How many rich people or politicians or even pastors, big name celebrity pastors, small uh, rural pastors, whatever, how many pastors have we seen fall hard because of a lack of character, because of a fault? People who have disqualified themselves from a role because of a character issue. Look, competency will take you very far in life. But if you do not have character, eventually you will trip up if you are lacking. You will fall. So for Saul, he checked off all the items on the list, all the things that the people wanted. But he had a character issue. We look at external appearances, but God looks at the heart. Israel's first king was really an object lesson. The Israelites wanted a king, God gave them a king. He gave them exactly the king they were looking for. He checked off all the boxes, but he lacked character. So after God had disowned Saul, he sent Samuel out to find the new king, whom God had chosen. And that's where our core verse comes back in. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when the focus was on outward appearance, the Israelites ended up with Saul. But when God reoriented the focus of the king's search to the heart, they ended up with David. So God appointed David to be, in many ways, the model leader for Israel. Because King David, as the king, he put God back onto the king's seat of Israel. David may have been the king of Israel, but God was his king. We're going to talk more about David in next week's core, so we're not going to spend too much time talking about this today. But there were some key differences between Saul and David. While David was also a flawed and sinful man, sometimes he sinned quite greatly, in fact, there were some key heart differences between Saul and himself. First of all, David's goal as king was to further God's fame, not his own. Second, David sought after God's heart and God's desires, not his own. And third, while we do have to remember David was also flawed, and it is very well documented the ways in which he had sinned, he always turned back to God. He always confessed his sin. So God used him as the model king for us to show us the true value of those heart qualities. And ultimately, he points to Jesus as the ultimate king. So in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12 to 13, we see God chooses David. It says, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with it. And the Spirit of the Lord 
came powerfully upon him from that day on. So basically, David ended up being the polar opposite of Saul. And so what you should recognize here is that at no point did God cease to be Israel's true king. When, Sam, when Saul came along, Saul had the appearance of a king, but he did not have things right in his heart. When David came, he put God back onto the king's throne. He seeked God, he seeked his fame, he seeked his heart, and he seeked to serve him. David was king of Israel, but God was his king. So as we're focusing on the word kingdom this week, the kingdom of God, and as we look at this experience of the kingdom of Israel, we have to ask, what do we do with all this? And of course, why should we care today? Why does it matter? What does it have to do with us? How does this connect with the kingdom of God today? Because of course, our king is Jesus, and we are a part of his kingdom. And so the question is, what does it look like for you or I to follow King Jesus and to be a part of his kingdom? even as it exists here today, presently, around us. Because we want to serve our king here today. So what does kingdom living look like? Well, as it turns out, Jesus taught us a lot about his kingdom. For the sake of time, we're not going to go through every single verse because he talks about it extensively. But there's a few key things that we do need to talk about. First of all, Jesus taught us to pray for the kingdom of God, that it would become a reality on earth. We pray this every week in the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 10, it says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That is what we are supposed to pray Every day, we are supposed to pray for the kingdom of God to be realized here on earth around us in the same way that the kingdom of God exists in heaven, in the presence of God. How do we do this? How do we help realize this on earth? We do this by allowing his Holy Spirit to reign in our lives. And this is the power behind kingdom living. Because you know what? If this is a kingdom and God is the king, and I am his servant, that means it's not always about what I want all the time. Because I am under the kingship of Jesus, and so through the Holy Spirit, we must allow submission to our king to reign through our lives. When Jesus talks about the kingdom to the Pharisees, in Luke 17, verse 21, he says, Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, the spiritual kingdom of God is in us here today. The kingdom of God is coming. When Jesus returns, it's coming. But it exists as a spiritual kingdom here today. And when you live under the kingship of Jesus, you can see it. But more importantly, when you live under the kingship of Jesus, others can see it. It's easy to see the kingdom of God when you are letting the Holy Spirit reign in your life. In his book, That Incredible Christian, A.W. Tozer gives what he calls seven marks of the spiritual person, and I think that these really correlate well to the idea of kingdom living. So first of all is a desire to be holy rather than happy. 
we talked about holiness a couple weeks ago, what it means to be holy and to live a holy life. But listen, sometimes you are going to have to choose between holiness and what you think will make you happy. Sometimes we have to make that decision in our lives. Second is a desire to honor God through whatever it takes. And the key there is the last piece, whatever it takes, because sometimes it's easy to make the choices that honor God. But sometimes it can be incredibly hard. It comes at a huge cost. Sometimes honoring God, whatever it takes, that might mean relationships get damaged. It might mean doing things and, and, and believing and taking a stand for things that separate us from other people we care about. But we have to do it whatever it takes. Third is a desire to carry their cross by being committed to his lordship and obedient to his commands. And it's as simple as that, but that is also very challenging. It's not complicated. If we are under his kingship, we are obeying his commands. But of course, we all know that it can be a lot more challenging than simply just doing what we're told. Fourth is the desire to see life from God's point of view. That's a really hard one. It's honestly really hard to even think about. How do I do that? How do I view life from God's point of view? God is omnipotent, omniscient. He exists inside and outside of time. How can I see the world the way he does? And the truth is, you can't. But you can see the issues that matter to him from his perspective. You have to take it in small, bite-sized chunks. How does God view this issue? Or how does God view that issue? A really fun one is, how does God view this person or that person? Uh, remember, in Core 2 Identity, we're all created in God's image. We're all created with value and purpose. So, if there's someone you don't get along with, or maybe that you're even in open conflict with, you have to remember that is someone that God made in His image. It's someone that He loves, and it is someone who Jesus died for. So fourth is a desire to see life from God's point of view. Fifth is that they would rather die than right than live wrong. And that's pretty self-explanatory. They would rather die right than live wrong. Sixth, a desire to see others advance even at their own expense and be a servant to all. And this is a theme that Jesus speaks on extensively, especially in the Gospel of Mark, servant leadership a desire to see others advance. If you, want to, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must make yourself the least. You must serve others. And then seventh is a desire to make decisions based on eternity. And that's another hard one. Think about the things in your life that you do or are a part of. How do they all fit into the scope of eternity? Or even think about the first six marks that we gave here of a spiritual person? What was your gut reaction when you thought of the scenarios in which these come into play in your life? How do you decide in the ways in which to follow these marks in the scope of eternity? But listen, all of these things, all of these traits, they all have to do with having the true king, Jesus, in his proper place in your life. It all circles around putting Jesus in his proper place, putting us under his kingship, because we serve him and so the question you have to ask is are you on the throne of your life 
Are you sitting on the throne seat of your life? Because if you are, you are in the wrong seat. Because you are not the king of your life. That seat is not for you. That is God's seat. And that's a hard truth to hear. But look, it's not just your life. The entire earth, the whole universe, belongs to King Jesus, and he is coming back to claim it. Make no mistake, whether you choose to submit to the kingship of Jesus or not, there will come a day when every knee will bow, including yours, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of all, including yours. It does not matter whether you do now or not, it will happen. It's just that some of us realize it and confess it now and bend our knee today, and some of us do not. But listen, all of the earth is awaiting the coming of his kingdom. In Romans 8, verses 20 to 23, it says, For the kingdom was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. And so throughout all of history, all of mankind has been awaiting the coming of this king who will reign for eternity. In Exodus 15, 18, it says, The Lord reigns forever and ever. In Psalm 24, who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. In 1 Timothy, all honor and glory to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. And then Revelation 19, verse 6, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. The kingdom of God is coming, but also the kingdom of God is here. Romans 14.17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So once again, when the Holy Spirit reigns in us, then we bring about God's kingdom here on earth. So as I conclude, I want to give you a reminder that as we study these core ideas, uh, these uh, core ideas, the kingdom of God, yes, but all of these topics, it's about who we are as Christians, what we do as Christians and as the church, but because of who he is. And he is our king. And this is his kingdom. If you are a part of that, if you believe you are a part of that, you will carry out your life as though that were true. If you believe in Jesus, King Jesus, and you place yourself under his lordship, people will be able to tell. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. That is the kingdom 
of God. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come and join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service times, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.